The epistle is written in the third chapter of James' epistle, beginning at the first verse. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, beginning on chapter 8, beginning at verse 27. Peter's Confession of Christ. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about them. He then began to teach that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. 
Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Shall we pray? Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take the truth and plant it deep in us and shape and fashion us in your likeness that the light of Christ may be seen in all our acts of love and deeds of faith. Amen. In our series of Growing God's Family, we begin this week on the subject, Maturing Disciples of Christ. Michael Green last week mentioned three musts. The Jesus we must know, the life we must lead, and the future we must face. Picking on the second must, what is expected of us, his disciples, to lead this kind of life. In our collect, we prayed that we may be fervent in the fellowship of the gospel and being found steadfast in faith and active in service. How can we live a life that comes with these attributes? Fervent in the fellowship of the gospel, steadfast in faith and active in service. I find the answer to these questions in our gospel reading, where Jesus, in verse 34, says this, whoever wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So what does cross-bearing mean? Bearing a cross is our responsibility of being a follower or a disciple of Jesus. To help us understand this, I worked out a simple anagram of the word cross. A committed response through obedience and self-surrender. A committed response through obedience and self-surrender. Bearing this, his cross means we continuously live obedient to his will in complete surrender of ourselves, even if it means life and death. I'm, I'm reminded of the verse in 2 Corinthians 
verse, chapter 10 and verse 5, where Paul reminds the Christians in the Corinthian church to cast down every argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of God. When we learn to obey God, we consistently make a commit commitment to choose his way and not ours. If there is one thing we must learn about self is that it does not like to be challenged or confronted or dislodged. The self, however, must be disciplined to die, allowing Christ's life to live in us. This is what Jesus says in our gospel reading, losing one's life to gain it. As the cross is the center in the kingdom of God, we are required to go through spiritually what Jesus went through physically. Our self-interests and self-concerns are to die and to be buried, to experience a new purpose in life. Oswald Chambers, in his devotional, My Utmost for the Highest, writes this, God divides the private life of his saints and makes it a highway for the world on one hand and for himself on the other. No human being can stand this unless he is identified with Christ. We are called into intimacy with the gospel and things happen that appear to have nothing to do with us. But God is getting us into fellowship with himself. Let him have his way. For if you refuse, you will be of no value to God in his redemptive work in the world, but will be a hindrance and a stumbling block. Yes, through the crosses we carry, he is making us a representative of his grace to a lost world. A mathematician is known to have shared this. There are three principles in mathematics, he says. Firstly, you need to be completely honest. In other words, you cannot play tricks and try to get the results. There are no shortcuts in maths because you have to work out the problem step by step. And thirdly, the answer is wrapped up in the problem because, because there is a problem, there must be an answer. There is a parallel to this in our discipleship. Complete honesty and truthfulness, faithful, even the little things, and also realizing we ourselves are the answers to the problems we encounter. Many of us fail to be fruitful in our Christian experience because we are afraid or unwilling to face the issues that demand a wholehearted commitment to the will of God. Henry Drummond, a well-known preacher and author of this country, in a meeting commenced his address with these words, 
Ladies and gentlemen, the entrance to the kingdom of God is nothing. The annual subscription is everything. Jesus wants all our devotion, not just a portion. One cannot have all our priorities plus Jesus. He is the priority. So what do we need to do? Here are three applications to help discipline our lives as we mature in our discipleship. There are three Ps. Prevail in prayer, ponder or meditate on his word, and profess our faith. As much as breathing is vital for our living, prayer is equally vital to Christian living. We are called to prevail in prayer where we not only talk to him, but also learn to cooperate with him. We learn to align our desires and our plans and purposes to God. Here is a quote. Prayer is not a spare wheel that you pull out when in trouble, but it is a steering wheel that directs the paths throughout life's journey. As we mature physically to move to solid food, so too we are reminded by reason to apply the truths wisely. And this comes only from as we diligently meditate on the word of God, because his word is living and powerful provides us the discernment to help us make the right choices. Something actually always happens when we read it expectantly and apply it obediently. The more these things happen, the more you want to study the Bible. As Spurgeon says, the more you dig into the scriptures, the more treasures you unearth. So through prayer and meditation, we learn to understand his will for us, and then able to apply the Christian response to us, to our lives, and the needs of those around us, which leads us to professing our faith with humility. What we say about our faith needs to reflect our lives. James, in our epistle reading, reminds us what we say affects others' spiritual lives. We are to use our tongues to edify, to encourage, and to exhort one another. A Russian bishop went to see Stalin to ask him to become a Christian, to which Stalin replied, I will if you show me one. Our lives are the only gospel our neighbors will ever read. The question is, what our neighbors will make of our gospel? And another quote, my life shall not be good views, that is being clever, but my life shall be the good news, a news of being converted.
So how do we measure our progress as we mature in our discipleship? As we progress, we realize there is an increase in awareness of sin in us, a sharper awareness of our private motivations. We face an increase in the spiritual battle as we begin to wrestle with the issues of obedience in our everyday life. We sense an increase in a willingness to serve others and a decrease in a desire to be critical. We get to see others just as how Jesus would like to see them. Philip Yancey says this, the proof of spiritual maturity is not how pure you are, but your awareness of your impurity. That very awareness opens the door to God's grace. Yes, in our weaknesses, God's grace is sufficient to meet all our inadequacies. And he longs to make our lives meaningful as we grow as his family to unashamedly bring glory and honor to him. The lives we lead must tell what we believe in, our attitudes, behaviors, and character. All these are on parade for others to learn the true meaning of living as a disciple of Christ in our homes, churches, and community. As we come to the Lord's Supper, let us take this opportunity to review our spiritual progress. And since we have the promises of God, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God, seeking his strength and his grace as we bear our cross. If you do not know him, I pray that the Holy Spirit will lead you to know him, for he longs each one of us, his creations, to become his disciple. Let us pray. Precious Lord, adjust my priorities in a greater intimacy of the gospel. Help me to grow in my personal relationship with you, maturing and strengthening to become a better representative of your grace. And we thank you, Jesus. Amen.